Welcome to this week's edition of America's Voice for Energy. As you know, each week I write an energy-themed column that is triggered by some news-based event. This week my column is titled, The March to Paris Has Begun. And the news-based event that triggered my decision to write on this this week is that uh, the EPA has finally published the Clean Power Plan, the final rule for the Clean Power Plan, into the Federal Register. And once that was published, that meant that the lawsuits could begin. And those lawsuits, 26 states have filed lawsuits against the Clean Power Plan, and leading the lawsuit charge is Attorney General Patrick Morrissey from West Virginia, who's joining us today for the first segment. So, Attorney General Morrissey, I so appreciate you taking your time to join us today. Hey, it's great to be on your program. Thanks so much. Well, this is a really important issue for energy and, of course, specifically uh, for West Virginia, which is why I assume you've taken a lead on it, and I've followed your work on this specific issue. But for our listeners who maybe have not followed it, tell us what, what the goal of your lawsuit is. Well, the goal of our lawsuit is to stop this, the Obama administration from a legally advancing policy that it lacks the authority to do. So this administration is putting out a radical and unprecedented rule that's going to have a highly negative effect on jobs. Uh, it will increase the cost of electricity in our country, and it will place the reliability of the power grid at risk. And all of this is being done with very flimsy legal authority. It's our job as attorneys general to fight back whenever anyone violates the rule of law. And in this situation, the Obama administration is really stretching the bounds of legal authority to come up with such a uh, breathtaking uh, proposal. We think that the court should strike this down uh, for a wide variety of reasons, and we're very pleased that we've been able to build a large bipartisan coalition. We now know that there are 26 states that are supporting our effort. Uh, there are multiple Democrats, Republicans. We have independents behind us. We have uh, mine workers, boilermakers, operators, businesses, utilities. This is a coalition that's growing because people understand that the EPA is not in charge of states' energy portfolios. What the EPA is trying to do here is transform itself from being an environmental regulator to the manager of states' energy decisions. That's not allowed under the Clean Air Act or the Constitution, and that's why it needs to come to an end. So where does this go from here? Well, we have filed a lawsuit, and we've also asked for a stay of the rules so that the harm will stop. Ever since this rule was announced, people in West Virginia and across the country started to feel its impact because the states and many others started to develop plans to come into compliance with this uh, proposal. We think that that's really problematic since we think we have a very good chance of prevailing after the courts rule on this issue. So by asking for a stay, we're simply suggesting that the courts put a pause button on the rulemaking and allow the merits to be heard, and once we reach a decision, then we'll honor it from there. So the biggest progress we're going to have in the next few months is 
the submitting the briefs on the stay motions, and then next year we're going to learn whether the court agrees with us that a stay should be granted, and ultimately in the spring we'll probably have a decision on the merits from the D.C. Court of Appeals. So you're expecting a, a possible decision as early as spring? We're hopeful. We know that we're pressing very hard to get a decision before the D.C. Uh, Circuit Court of Appeals, and we know that it's going to be a tight schedule, but we're trying to get this resolved as quickly as possible so that West Virginia doesn't continue to hurt with the specter of this large regulation. Uh, so I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that we'll hear back uh, by sometime next spring. It could obviously slip deeper into 2016, but we're going to try to push the envelope to get the issue resolved. I mean, of course, if, you, if the stay is granted, then when that final date comes is, is a little bit less, less of an urgency. That, that's right. So the most important fight right now relates to the stay. Can we at least have our day in court without continuing harm occurring in the states? One thing that's really important for a lot of your listeners to know is that this past June, we had a really big win before the U.S. Supreme Court. But right after that victory, and it was on coal regulations, the EPA came out and said, yeah, well, we lost, but, and they said, but everyone has to come into compliance anyway. So they basically dismissed the importance of winning at the Supreme Court level. We think that that gives the courts the opportunity to say, Let's not have a repeat of the Michigan v. EPA case. Let's make sure that uh, this can get decided on the merits before more harm occurs to the states. Yes, I followed that, the math rule decision, and, and I believe, I, I know I wrote on it, but at the time I believe I quoted you uh, at the t in my column that I wrote uh, addressing that specific topic, and it was the EPA was just gleeful uh, in their response to that and saying it was almost like they were going, nah, 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 we won anyway. You know, it's really unfortunate when you have a federal agency that's uh, obligated to follow the rule of law, and then after the Supreme Court, the highest court of the land, rules that you didn't comply with the law, um, that you're so cavalier and dismissive. I think it's outrageous, and that's one of the reasons why I think there are a growing number of people, not only in West Virginia but across the country, who recognize that this administration has had an utter disregard for the rule of law. And that's where state attorneys general come in. And we're, we're pleased that we have such a large coalition of people who want to hold this EPA accountable. And keep in mind that this type of activity that's occurring within the administration, we've seen in a number of other contexts as well. So we're hopeful that the court will have some sympathy to the plight of what's going on within the state's and they can uh, give us a stay so that we can live to fight another day. Now, what are the, the key legal arguments uh, that you think that you can win on? Well, there are a number of um, really strong legal arguments uh, that we've included within our litigation. Uh, first, one thing that makes a lot of sense is that what the EPA is trying to do here is double regulate coal-fired power plants, and they're just not permitted to do so under the Clean Air Act. The Clean Air Act envisions a cooperative federalism regime, which is one role for the states, one role for the federal government. Well, back in 2012, uh, the EPA had put forth the national standards uh, for 
hazardous air pollutants. And that means that they can't come back and then regulate coal-fired power plants again the way they envision under this rule. And that makes sense because you don't want to double regulate things. Normally, uh, Congress wouldn't want to have that double regulation because it'd be incredibly costly. You can fix it with one regulation, not two. So that's the first argument. The second piece, which we think is really compelling, is that the EPA um, has authority to regulate existing sources, and that would be, in this case, coal-fired power plants. They don't have the ability to go too far afield from the coal-fired power plants in order to compel states to engage in activities. By regulating coal-fired power plants and then suggesting that states may need to modify their energy portfolios um, to use uh, wind, solar, water, oil, and gas, that goes beyond their authority. And it, it's outside of the contours of the Clean Air Act, but also it's violative of the Tenth Amendment. Under our constitutional system, the states possess police power, and they traditionally manage our energy resources. Um, the federal government has some role to play, but that authority is not contained within the Clean Air Act, and the EPA does not have the ability to do what it's trying to do here. Um, think of it another way. If the EPA um, had the authority to regulate and to try to really coerce the states to alter their portfolios, X amount of wind, solar, water, et cetera, then there'd be no reason. Which is, which is exactly what they're doing through this regulation. Well, that, that's, that's correct. And one of the things which is so important for people to think about, if you have that authority, ultimately you can then dial the number back to whatever you want. You know, today it's going to be coal because that's the uh, bullseye for the Obama administration. But in the future, it could be additional fossil fuels, and they could just keep using this dial to dial out the types of energy resources that they don't view as appropriately environmentally friendly. That's not permitted under the Clean Air Act and under the Constitution. And what the administration is trying to do here is really novel because keep in mind that this administration tried to move a cap-and-trade plan back in 2009 during a democratically controlled Congress. That same plan was rejected, and now we're seeing it resurrected really in the form of the final clean power plan rule. You can't do that under our constitutional system of government, and that's why I think we're optimistic about our chances when we're in court. Yes, and of course we've seen the... Uh Congress is going to be put, putting out the uh, resolution of disapproval through the Congressional Review Act, so we're seeing Congress uh, attempting to make some, some uh, gestures, but, but uh, we know President Obama will veto that once they send it in. Yeah, but I think the one critical point, and you raised this, uh, we think this is a job that's best suited for Congress, because if you want to uh, push forward such a sweeping and radical proposal that will force of, on average, over 30% reduction in these emissions, then you should go through a normal legal process. You should have a bill that makes its way through both bodies of Congress. The president should sign it into law. That's not what's happened here. The EPA here is really stretching to pull this authority that's barely ever been used in an effort to drive this incredibly um, uh, controversial topic through. 
we think that the courts, as they focus on this, will see this as a real power grab by the Obama administration, and we're hopeful we're going to prevail in court. We certainly need to, for the people of West Virginia and for the country, I'm hopeful people begin to focus on just how radical a proposal this is, not only from a policy perspective, but from a legal perspective. You can't take over the state's role in managing energy portfolios. No one ever envisioned that's what the Clean Air Act was about. No, but that's certainly what uh, President Obama's goals are, and I hope that uh, the conference coming up in Paris will help draw some media attention to these overall issues. Well, that's right, and, and as many people know, in 2008, when the president was running uh, for office, he indicated that one of his goals was to bankrupt coal-fired power plants. Well, this seems to be one promise that he's intent on living up to. But your point about Paris is important, too. One thing that I think people in Paris will come to appreciate uh, before all is said and done is that this president is trying to advance um, his top priority through a rulemaking that he lacks the authority to, to implement. So I think as more and more people in Paris understand that the president really lacks the legal support back home, that could really compromise his position at the negotiating table. And we're going to make sure that enough people know that this is a regulation that should ultimately not get upheld. Yeah. Well, well, it'll be interesting to watch. I appreciate your effort on this, Attorney General Patrick Morrissey from West Virginia. Thanks for joining us today on America's Voice for Energy. Hey, thanks so much. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Voice for Energy. I'm excited in this segment to have with us someone who can tell us kind of the inside story on the clean power plan and what is going on at the EPA. I met Alan Carlin several years ago at the Heartland Institute's International Conference on Climate Change. And in that crowd, he's quite the hero because while he has spent 39 years working within the EPA, uh, he doesn't really have nice things to say about the EPA and particularly their emphasis on climate change. Alan Carlin runs a website called Carlin Economics and Science, and I read a post that he had there that was influential for me in what I wrote this week, my column called The March to Paris Has Begun. Alan Carlin had got his undergraduate degree in physics from Caltech, his graduate degree in economics from MIT, and he spent seven years at the Rand Corporation, and as I mentioned, 39 years with the EPA before retiring. So, Alan, I appreciate your t- you're taking your time to join us today on America's Voice for Energy. 
Thank you for inviting me. Well, before we get into the real topic of today, can you give our audience a, a clue as to what your activities at the EPA were? Um, my work was in two areas. One involved um, uh, developing what are called criteria documents on the characteristics of different uh, things that EPA might regulate. And my second and more major effort was in research to determine how to determine the economic benefits and costs uh, of what EPA does. Oh, wow. That, that's that's got to have been a challenge, especially in recent years. Now, when did you retire? Uh, I retired in very early 2010 uh, after uh, various events in 2009, uh, which were the result of the of the incoming Obama and so, so you were just there for a short time under Obama's tenure? Right. Uh, uh, he uh, arrived in office in January 2009. Um, I was away for uh, most of January and February arrived back in early March, and a week or so later was asked to comment on uh, their uh, proposed background document, uh, which would justify what they are now trying to do to reduce CO2 emission. Uh huh. Uh, I was not. My comments were not too uh, favorable from their viewpoint, and uh, I was told not to work on climate change anymore, and not to speak with anybody outside our small office with regard to climate change. Well, so essentially your, your dissenting view was silenced. Uh, yes, it was squashed, and, uh, and I was told uh, that I should have nothing further to do with climate change. And obviously you didn't listen to that. Uh, yes, I did. I observed every single one of their rules, um, uh, but in late June, uh, the a outside group called CEI uh, released my almost 100-page uh, review uh, to the outside world. And that ended your career at the EPA? No, uh, they could not fire me, but they 
did everything that they possibly could think of to make life hard for me. So they definitely had a preconceived uh, agenda going in. That is exactly right. Uh, uh, it was my view that the important thing was not their, uh, their views coming into office, but what the science actually said. What a surprise that you were looking at what the science actually said instead of the ideological views. Um, that was uh, the situation that I found myself in. Yeah. So what do you think, with that background, were you, well, were you directly involved in the creation of the clean power plan, or were you gone by the time that that was being developed? Uh, I was long gone by then, um, but the report that I reviewed was, is the fundamental basis which EPA uses to try to justify reducing CO2 emissions. So you're, obviously your opinion of, of the uh, Clean Power Plan is not favorable because on your website you refer to the Clean Power Plan as the Skyrocketing Rates Power Plan, or SRPP, instead of CPP, as, as uh, most of us refer to it. Uh, and, and they've come out with these regulations. Uh, they're, they've been finalized in August. And as you write in your column, you call it a sleazy tactic of the EPA to make it difficult for opponents to attack the, as you call it, the SRPP in either Congress or the courts by delaying publication of these regulations in the Federal Register, which is normally done within a day or two, rather than two months and counting. And by now we know it was almost three months before it was published. And you say that you believe this delay was deliberate. Can you expand on that for us? Um, I cannot prove that it was on purpose. But, I, but, but except for one other regulation uh, in very recent years, this has never happened, as far as I know, during the entire history of EPA. And so what do you believe is the reason that instead of being published in the Federal Register within a few days after the final rule being released, it was, it was nearly three months? Uh, from your view, looking in from the outside, what do you think is the reason? My view is that they had looked at how they could prevent anybody from uh, raising issues with regard to the SRPP. Uh, and the reason they could do that is that it is not allowed to file suits in court about regulations until it's been published in the Federal Register. Uh, and under the rules of the Congressional Review Act, uh, the rules cannot be overturned by Congress until they have been published. Uh, and there is an important upcoming 
conference in Paris in early December, and they and I theorized that they did not want any did not want the regulations to be overturned uh, prior to that conference. Well, I, I certainly share your view on that, as does uh, Senator Jim Inhofe from Oklahoma, uh, who we, it's clear now based on the timetable that the EPA put forth to the courts in the, the district court in uh, D.C., and they have accepted the EPA's timeline, which means that no more lawsuits can be filed after November 5th, and that all the arguments have to be in by December 23rd, which guarantees that even if a stay is issued, which I believe is likely, uh, that even if a stay is issued, it won't happen until 2016, therefore saving President Obama the potential embarrassment of having this knocked down by the United States courts prior to that UN climate change conference in Paris. And uh, it, it certainly, especially when, you, when we hear from you from the inside, from inside experience, I know you're on the outside now, but you've got inside experience, and that, um, you know, they typically read, put these, publish these things in the Federal Register within a matter of days, and now it's a matter of months. Uh, and then the schedule delays everything, kicking the can down the road. It certainly certainly seems to connect. Exactly. So as you said, we don't have any hard proof, but there's it, it clearly looks that way. And, and this this uh, clean power plan or the skyrocketing rates power plan, as you uh, affectionately call it, uh, is is the centerpiece. It's been called the centerpiece of Obama's climate plan. It's been called the linchpin of negotiations in Paris. And so it would certainly uh, be a big setback for the president for this to be shot down in court. I hope that you are right that a stay will be issued uh, in due course, uh, but I'm less hopeful that it will happen then I think you are well I am optimistic in part because of the nationwide state that was issued on uh, the waters of the US Act are uh, the waters of the US rule that EPA put forth in the state that was issued on that and due to the uh, maps rule but time will tell we'll see we just have a few minutes or a few or a few seconds left uh, Alan, tell us about your website, carlineconomics.com, and can people subscribe to receive your posts? Uh, yes, they can, or they can uh, go to the site uh, at any time. Uh, it, among other things, talks about my new book, uh, Environmentalism Gone Bad. Uh, which talks about many of these things. Great, and thank you for bringing up that book. It's Environmentalism Gone Mad, is that what you said? Yes. Okay, and that's available at your website or on Amazon.com or where? Uh, it has its own website, which is environmentalismgonemad.com. 
Great. Well, I encourage our listeners to check out carlineconomics.com and environmentalismgonemad.com where you can follow the work of Alan Carlin addressing these important issues and, and, and the EPA's work. Thanks for joining us today on America's Voice for Energy. Thank you. We'll be right back. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Voice for Energy. This week we're talking specifically about the Clean Power Plan, and as the title of my column this week is, the March to Paris has begun, as we've got the U.N. Climate Conference beginning uh, in Paris in less than one month. My next guest is a perfect follow-up to Alan Carlin. As you may recall, in the last segment, Alan talked about that an organization called CEI, which stands for Competitive Enterprise Institute, published his paper that uh, exposed the EPA and um, their biases. Well, our next guest is the Director of Energy and Environment for the Competitive Enterprise Institute. Myron, thanks for joining us today on America's Voice for Energy. Thanks for having me, Marita. So, what, you know, do you have a, any, any input on CEI's role with Alan Carlin? Well, uh, Alan, uh, since his uh, uh, coming out at uh, EPA as a, as a global warming skeptic, uh, has, of course, become a close ally and, and friend and colleague of ours at CEI, and um, we, we uh, you know, work with him uh, regularly, and in fact, I just saw him at our meeting on Monday, so he's, he's, a, he's a great asset to the movement. Yes, he is, and I'm an admirer of, of his work, and I was pleased when I reached out to him to ask him to be on the show with me that he, he said, told me he loves my article, so I was, of oh, course, yeah. flattered yeah. with that. So, Myron, you've been really involved in this, and, and uh, 
some of your work is, has been so helpful to me. You know, we've got this kind of confluence of, of circumstances with the Clean Power Plan being published in the Federal Register late. Um, and as I discussed with Alan, that uh, he believes, and I agree, that that was uh, to prevent the president being embarrassed uh, in Paris because uh, there's the lawsuits that have been filed that this has the potential uh, to be first a stay and then overturned. And then we've got action in Congress, which frankly I'd never even heard of this act until a week ago when I did this research, called the Congressional Review Act. Where do you see this all going? Uh, the Congressional Review Act is a way for Congress to uh, block or disapprove of uh, major regulations. And it has been used uh, several times in the past, but not uh, only once successfully, because uh, both chambers have to vote uh, against the to block the regulation, and then the president has to sign it so the president can veto it. And that means that... Uh, it really only works if, for example, we have an incoming president in 2017 who wants to get rid of some last-minute regulations. He could then sign one of these resolutions of disapproval. However, the Congressional Review Act resolution votes have a purpose, and in this case they have a double purpose. The first is to make it clear that the uh, so-called clean power plan, and I don't like to call it that, I like to call it the colossally costly power plan, uh, <laughs> is, is, does not it have the support of Congress, and Congress is going to move forward in the next year or two to block it in, through, through appropriations uh, uh, riders and, and other means. And the second is it sends a signal to the negotiators on the Paris Climate Treaty that President Obama's uh, uh, submission to that treaty of what the U.S. will do to reduce its emissions does not have the support of Congress and is unlikely to survive President Obama after he leaves office. Yeah, and that's, I think, the key reason why Congress has chosen to go this route, and it looks like this um, resolution of disapproval through the Congressional Review Act uh, will pass through both houses. Do you agree? Yes, there's, uh, it was marked up in a House subcommittee yesterday, and it passed out on a straight party-line vote. All the Republicans who were present voted for it, and all the Democrats present voted against it. It will be marked up in the full uh, House Energy and Commerce Committee after they come back from Veterans Day recess, and then it will be moved to the House floor. I hope it will be moved to the House floor uh, before Thanksgiving. Uh, the, the Paris Climate Conference, the UN conference, starts on the 30th of November and goes to the 11th. They may not get to vote on it until the first week of December when the conference has already started. I hope, I hope they get to it before that, but I'm not sure. On the Senate side, the good news about the Congressional Review Act is they don't have to have this 60-vote hurdle to invoke cloture to get to a bill. So, so, the, so all it takes is a majority vote to pass it. I think the Senate uh, will get to it before Thanksgiving. I'm, you know, they've got a lot of other things, uh, big things that they've got to do, so I'm not, I can't guarantee that, but I think the Senate will try. You know, this is a big priority of Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, so I think that the Senate will try to move on it before Thanksgiving, and we'll, we'll see. If not, they'll do it the first week of December during the uh, Paris Climate Talks. 
And that certainly should be a big headline. It might even be better if it happens during the Paris Climate Talks because the headline might get more attention. Well, I, you know, this could be argued both ways. I, I would say uh, I, I, what I have concluded uh, after hearing my colleague Chris Horner here at CEI talk about it is that if they do it during Paris, it will give all of those negotiators a chance to rush to the many hundreds of microphones that will be there and denounce the U.S. Congress. So, you know, on, so I agree with you it will have a bigger impact, but there will be a bigger blowback as well. So I, I would prefer to see it before, before the conference starts on the 30th of November. Right now, President Obama and other world leaders are scheduled to get there at the beginning of the conference, not at the end. Uh, in, in order to do a big pep rally and pledge that they're going to do something. In Copenhagen in 2009, uh, you may recall, they all got there towards the end of the second week because they were going to sign the deal, and they were all going to declare that the world had been saved by them. But then the whole thing blew up, and they were left looking stupid, and they didn't save the world. So now they're going to get there at the beginning and do a pep rally and then let the negotiators work on it and hope that, you know, they will hope that by the end of the week there is a, a, there is a new treaty. So would you, um, as a watcher of these things, uh, with more, more expertise in it than I have, would you presume that the fact that they're coming in early would be indicative of that they think they're not going to get a deal? Um. I don't know. I, it's hard to say. Uh, look, President Obama, uh, although he never campaigned on this in 2008 or 2012, has made this the centerpiece of not only of his second term, uh, like Obamacare was uh, his first term, uh, but he's also claimed, and Secretary of State John Kerry keeps repeating, that this is the that climate change is the biggest national security threat we face. It's bigger than anything going on with China, with Russia, with all the various countries in the Middle East. This is it. This is our biggest challenge, and that's what they're concentrating on. I think that explains a lot of, you know, the fact that they're not paying attention to what's going on with real national security problems explains <laughs> a lot. But. Uh, I, I think President Obama is determined that they are going to sign something. So I think they're going to come up with something, and I think uh, the the uh, head of the, the the chairman of the conference in Paris, Laurent Fabius, the uh, uh, foreign minister of France, I think he's very experienced, very shrewd. He saw what happened in Copenhagen in 2009, and I think he thinks if he can get the world leaders out of the way, it will be easier to come to some agreement at the end of the second week. We'll, we'll see. I, it could still blow up. And I think the U.S. Congress, I think these votes uh, on the Congressional Review Act resolutions uh, will, will have an impact. I think they could help blow it up because it will convince the developing countries, the G77 as they're called, that, that the U.S. is not going to be committed to this. And what the, what the developing countries are interested in is not the treaty, but the, something else, the Green Climate Fund. Uh, right. we're, we're supposed to provide tens of billions of dollars every year to them so that they can adapt and, and do climate policies in their own countries. Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting to watch. I, I assume that so they will sign something, but what, how binding that something will be is, of course, uh, you know, debatable at this point. Yes, and of course, the United States wants a, a, an agreement that they they can claim 
does not require is not a treaty and does not require ratification by the Senate, because they know uh, from the experience of the Kyoto Protocol in 1997, which everybody agreed was a treaty, that it was dead the minute it was it was signed in 1997, because the Senate would never ratify it. Well, the same is true of the Paris climate treaty. So they're trying to say it's not really a treaty. We didn't make any legal commitments, and therefore it doesn't require ratification. What they're hoping for is a treaty that, that sort of politically binds the, the next administration and binds the Congress and says, well, you see, we made these. And, and, and also will play in the courts as well. They can make the argument, well, you see, uh, okay, this doesn't have the force of law, all of these, these very expensive policies. But We've, we, we have committed ourselves internationally, and therefore we can't go back on that. And so I think you know, they, they hope it will have some political effect uh, rather than legal effect. And so that's the whole game that's being played. Well, speaking of the political game that's being played, we have a couple minutes left. Tell us, can we move on to uh, the lawsuits that have been filed against the Clean Power Plan? So the Congressional Review Act is one form of opposition, but the other is the uh, 26 states that have joined together in a lawsuit against it. Well, our view at CEI has always been that the, that the, uh, the the two rules are both clearly illegal. That is the rule for new power plants and the rule for existing power plants. And they're, they're clearly illegal not just for one reason, but for multiple reasons. However, uh, you know, the Supreme Court is invested in this. The, in, in 2007, the court ruled five to four that, that the, the EPA had authority under the Clean Air Act to regulate carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gas emissions, even though the Clean Air Act has nothing to do with that. And, and when it was, uh, when they had the Clean Air Act amendments in 1990, all the sponsors got up on the floor of the House and Senate and said this will have nothing to do, this has nothing to do with climate change or regulating greenhouse gas emissions. And yet the Supreme Court said, well, we see which way the political wind is blowing, and so we're going to allow the EPA to go forward. And and so Justice Anthony Kennedy, uh, the, the kind of the swing vote, he's invested in it. The four uh, liberal members are clearly going to vote for it. So, you know, we can have all the law in the world on our side, as we did with Obamacare, and the court could still say it's okay. So, uh, you know, this is, this is a very difficult situation we're in. I think, I think the, the solution has to be through Congress and perhaps the next administration. Well, hopefully uh, that will take place. Do you think uh, we just have about 30 seconds left to do? What do you think about the stay? Well, we'll have to see. I mean, they're not going to decide on it until several months after the rule went final in, in August. So right. the earliest they're going to rule on it is January, So it might be, and it might be months after that. I mean, there, you know, all of these states and utility, big utilities are already going to be s closing down uh, coal-fired power plants because they're going to say, well, we've got to comply with this rule. So, you know, the state should have been granted immediately, and it's a disgrace that it wasn't, but uh, we'll see. Well, of course, it couldn't be until they uh, published the right. the it was published in the federal record, and they delayed that. Uh, I believe to stall off embarrassment. Myron Evil, right. you've done a great job, kind of explaining the lay of the land. I appreciate your insight and following this issue. It'll be interesting to watch. Uh, we can find you on at cei.org, correct? And globalwarming.org. Globalwarming.org, Alpha. Great. And you'll, you'll be reporting on activities from Paris, I know. 
I will be there. Yes. Thank oh, you. wow. Great. Well, we'll have to talk to you afterwards. I appreciate it. Thanks, Myron. We'll be right back on America's Voice for Energy. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at EHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome to our closing segment of today's edition of America's Voice for Energy. We've been talking about the Clean Power Plan, and while I've talked about it many times in the past, it has a new uh, emphasis this week in that the regulation has finally been published in the Federal Register, which means that the lawsuits can begin. And boy, have they begun, as we've been talking about in our previous segment. I'm delighted to have with me for this closing segment, Terry Jarrett, and he is an attorney. He's a past public regulatory commissioner in Missouri, and he specializes in these kinds of issues. He works specifically with utilities and other interested parties uh, regarding this particular EPA regulation. I like to refer to Terry as my go-to guy when it comes to the clean power plan. So, Terry, I appreciate you joining me once again. Marita, it's always good to be with you. You have such insight in this, and you've really helped educate me and therefore uh, my listeners on America's Voice for Energy as well. But I, I know you've been following this very closely, and, you know, we've talked about the delay in the publishing in the Federal Register. Did you notice that yourself as you were watching the, the proceedings move on? Oh, almost certainly, yes. That, uh <laughs> That was very, uh, very unusual for any uh, federal agency to do. So, yes, it was it was definitely a strategy on their part to delay uh, any type of legal action against the rules. Well, I was my next question was going to be. So, do you agree with what Alan Carlin said? But obviously, uh, yes, yes, you do agree. So, it was a strategic delay, and and you think it had to do with uh, the upcoming conference in in Paris? Oh, absolutely. That that had to be the reason. Uh, you know, the uh, once the uh, rules were published, you know, we have I think now twenty six states have filed lawsuits. Yes. Uh, the, the you know National Rural Electric Cooperative Association filed a lawsuit. The American Power Public Power Association, which represents uh, municipal utilities, uh, has also filed lawsuits. There's been a plethora of lawsuits from 
from industry, you know, the U.S. Uh, Chamber of Commerce, uh, the American Association of Manufacturers, National Mining Association, have all now filed lawsuits against this, and they're all asking uh, for the courts to stay the implementation of this rule while the legal process works itself through. You know, how do you feel about that? I, I personally, I'm pretty optimistic that they're going to get that stay. Yes, you know, normally in the past, uh, the EPA, uh, the courts have been reluctant to grant stays on these types of EPA rules. But, uh, you know, when when the Supreme Court ruled here just this year on the, uh, the MATS regulations that the EPA put out, that, you know, had to do with the mercury. The mercury and uh, air toxic standards, yeah. Exactly, and they ruled that uh, that the EPA didn't follow its uh, uh, lawful processes, and ruled that the you know the rule was illegal. Uh, I think that really gives a tool for folks that are challenging the Clean Power Plan because, uh, in that case, that rule had been in effect for several years before it finally got to the Supreme Court. Utilities had already spent billions and billions of dollars putting in environmental upgrades on their on their utility plants, uh, and can't take those away now just because the Supreme Court ruled uh, that the rules illegal. The money's already been spent, so right. Uh, I think I think that gives the courts a good uh, you know, a good look at exactly can happen if they let these rules go into effect before the legal process plays out. Yeah, and we've seen just last month, I believe it was, that the uh, circuit court, was it in Ohio, did issue a stay on the waters of the U.S. rule. Yes, so there's precedent now uh, in the courts for, for granting a stay, uh, so I'm optimistic as well. Yeah, and uh, Senator Inhofe, his his statement on this is kind of the same thing. The PC says that the fact that they published these rules so late so that there was no chance of a stay being issued before Paris, his interpretation of that is that they realize that they have a very weak legal standing. Yes, I believe so. I think there's 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 several grounds, uh, legal grounds, to challenge this rule, uh, and uh, all of them are are valid. Uh, you know, anything from the fact that the the rule itself is uh, final rule is so much different than the uh, proposed rule uh, that uh, it really did, didn't give notice to folks. Uh, you know, exactly what they were going to be held accountable for. So that's just one of many sort of legal grounds that uh, that will be litigated. Yeah, it's interesting because I've got in front of me a piece from Echo Watch and another one in front of me from, if I can get my hands on it, as you were talking, it made me want to reach for this pile of my research when I wrote my column. Yes, here's a piece. Uh, published in The Hill, uh, and it's an op-ed, uh, and it says, Noise Trumps Logic in Clean Power Plan Lawsuits. And uh, it's interesting that these, these people are writing from the other viewpoint, the other side opposite from what you and I 
would would agree on, and they feel like um, they, they there's really no legal standing according to their to their viewpoint. And uh, one of the authors is a senior attorney attorney at the Institute for Policy Integrity at New York University School of Law, and the other is Dean Emeritus and Lawrence King Professor of Law at New York University School of Law and director of the Institute for Policy Integrity. And he is the co-author of the forthcoming book, Struggling for Air, Power Plants and the War on Coal. So it's, it's interesting to have read their piece. And if you haven't read it, Terry, it might be of interest to you. But um, they, they very much feel like there's really there's no legal standing for the, for the opposition to this law. And, um, they, so it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see because when I, I talk to you and I agree with you and Jim Inhofe and the Attorney General for West Virginia, et cetera, and then you read kind of what the other side says, and, and they have a totally different view. Yeah, it is It is really kind of amazing, but, uh, you know, the, the folks that have expressed concerns about the legality of this rule are, are not just those that, that – uh, you know, are climate change skeptics. You know, the the great constitutional scholar uh, from Harvard University, uh, the constitutional law professor there, Lawrence Tribe, uh, several months ago wrote a wrote an article in the Wall Street Journal where he, he said that this rule usurps state authority. Uh, you know, it violates the principles of federalism. Uh, states have always been uh, in charge of their own energy destiny, and what the EPA is doing is basically uh, transforming the indus- industry into, uh, you know, uh, federal regulation rather than state regulation. So, uh, you know, there's a broad spectrum of, of legal analysis, you know, analysts and uh, experts that uh, have expressed serious legal concerns about this plan. Well, I think that uh, the EPA, you know, uh, saw this coming, certainly. Uh, They've had opposition to every one of these big sweeping regulations that they have put forth and and really uh, tried to get around that by saying, oh, no, no, we're not telling states what they can do. We're giving them all these options, all these different ways that they can meet this rule. Yeah, it's sort of like the uh, the old Henry Ford adage uh, that, uh, you know, people can have uh, any color of uh, Model T Ford that they want as long as it's black. <laughs> <laughs> I like that uh, slide there, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, uh, you know, normally states like like my state of Missouri, uh, utilities are required to use least cost resources in their planning. So they're picking the least cost fuel for uh, providing power. Uh, traditionally, that's been coal. Um, more recently, more natural gas because of the fracking revolution, and there's a lot more natural gas available. Uh, so uh, utilities are using more natural gas uh, just as a natural, uh, you know, natural progression in the market. But what the EPA is doing is saying, no, you can't consider cost. We're going to do environmental dispatch. We're going to consider the environment. So uh, that's what's going to dictate uh, what, what fuel choices are made, not economics. The environment is going to, is going to take uh, uh, hold. And, of course, 
when you when you when money's no object to these environmental folks, uh, that means that prices are going to skyrocket. Electricity prices for consumers. Well, well, there's a campaign promise that President Obama will have kept. Absolutely, one of his uh, very few that he has kept. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I certainly can't say boots on the ground in Syria is a campaign promise he's kept, that's for sure. <laughs> that, that, was a, that was a catty side comment. Sorry, we won't go there. <laughs> <laughs> we just have a couple minutes left, Terry. What do, what's your um, educated observation of the impact or you know, of, of this rule on the negotiations in Paris and or what do you think is going to come out of Paris? Well, you know, uh, the, the paper that they issued in advance of this conference it is so convoluted, uh, it, it's hard to make heads or tails what is going to come out. Uh, I, I really don't think much of anything is going to come out of this, as a matter of fact, because uh, there, there's just no consensus uh, you know, especially among the emerging economies like China, India, other parts of Asia, uh, they're going to. And I'm sure you've control. seen this. I'm sure you've seen the statement from from President Putin that this whole global warming thing is a fraud designed to restrict uh, emerging co countries such as his. Well, you know. Uh, I, I don't agree with uh, most of what Vladimir Putin says, but but certainly uh, certainly what's going on does handicap emerging economies uh, and, and those third world countries that desperately want want power. We still have a billion people on this planet that don't have electricity, and they desperately want it, and they they need cheap power and. Uh, what's going on in Paris isn't leading to cheap power for these third-world countries, that's for sure. No, I just saw something uh, recently that Asia is building 500 new coal-fired power plants. So they're certainly not going to sign on to any of these crazy agreements. I, I agree with you. I suspect that, once again, we're going to have a last-minute meeting, and they're going to pull a rabbit out of the hat, and they're going to come up with some document that, when you really read it, it says absolutely nothing. Oh, that's exactly right. Uh, you know, they'll they'll declare some sort of victory, I'm sure, at the end, where they can uh, all stand together in a press conference and talk about have how they're solving op. the world's have have a photo op and how they're solving the world's problems. But in the end, uh, I, you're just not going to see much of anything. The clean power plan, as you said, uh, more coal plants are being built, new coal plants. Uh, that this clean power plan is not even going to put a dent in in uh, carbon emissions globally. I mean, it's just no, and the EPA admits that. Yeah, it it, it really is just a uh, an opportunity for the federal government to take charge, take more power. Uh, no pun intended, but to take yeah. uh, to take more, uh, you know, to take control of the electric industry in this country that has tradition traditionally been uh, handled by the states. Yeah. Terry Jarrett, we're out of time. I appreciate you coming on with us again today on America's Voice for Energy and wrapping up this topic for us, and I'm sure we'll talk once again post-Paris. Thank you, Marita, and keep up the good work. I appreciate you. Thanks, Thanks Terry. Please join us again next week for America's Voice for Energy on AmericasWebRadio.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.